I would like to introduce our guest today, Mark Christopher. Uh, Mark is a missionary in Cape Town to South Africa. Mark is a TMS graduate and was ordained by Grace Community Church shortly before departing from Cape Town. Mark and Debbie have two children, Janelle and Micaiah, attending the Master's University. Let's welcome Mark. Well, it's a joy to be with you women. I think it's been nearly six years since the last time we were here in this place. And uh, so we uh, have spent uh, five years on the field after our last furlough. And uh, we came back uh, just in time for the GMI conference uh, near the end of July and officially began uh, this current furlough. So we're privileged to be here with you today. And uh, it's just one of our many stops along the way. We have 16 supporting churches in the state of California. We're all in California. I used to think that was a good thing. I'm not so sure anymore, but uh, it is what it is, and we praise God for that. And uh, we're very grateful to have 16 like-minded churches that uh, support our ministry, of which Grace is one and one of the original ones uh, as well. And so what I'm going to do uh, while you're enjoying a bit of lunch is just share a bit of our ministry with you, just to give you a little idea of what it is we have been doing uh, and what we hope to do when we go back after this current furlough. And uh, so these pictures are not exhaustive. I'm not really a great PowerPoint man. Uh, I probably won't get an A for artistic impression. Uh, but uh, that's not the purpose of this. It's, it's simply just to give you a little taste of uh, what our ministry looks like. And some of those to whom we have the privilege of ministering on a regular basis. As Linda said, we've been there 22 years. And for the bulk of that 22 years, we've been involved with church planting. And uh, now the Lord is moving us in a new direction. And we're transitioning from church planting into starting a seminary. Uh, which will actually be an extension of Christ Seminary, which is up in Polokwane, South Africa, which is 1,100 miles north of us. And uh, Dave Beakley might be a name that you're familiar with, and uh, the Beakleys have been there for many years as well. And uh, so we have partnered with them to start a seminary down in Cape Town. And so now I'm going to uh, move the focus of my efforts from church planting to training men for the work of ministry. And uh, after all those years of church planting, we believe that we can now parlay all of that experience and have a a good understanding of what it's like to plant a church and pastor a church in the Cape Town context. And so now we want to take all of that experience and move it to the classroom, whereby we can train the next generation. And as I was telling Dolores before this all began, I'm often asked, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, I'm not sure I'll ever have much of a legacy, but uh, if, if you ask the question, what I would say is I'd like the seminary that we're starting to be our legacy when God is done with us. And uh, so that's really where we're putting all of our focus. That's one of the reasons we're home now for a 15-month period. Uh, we've never been home for any more than five or six months at a time, but now we're home for 15 months. We go back next September, Lord willing. And part of the reason and rationale for all of that is because I've been offered an opportunity here at the seminary to study further and uh, to work on a Ph.D. in Old Testament. And so I'm not sure how wise that is at 54 to come back and go back to seminary. It took me 22 years to get over the uh, post-traumatic seminary syndrome 
from 1994, and so I guess I've decided to come back and let them finish me off for good this time. And they're doing, they're well on their way, I might add, so uh, I have a big project due tomorrow morning in one of my Hebrew classes, but uh, I praise God for that opportunity to come back and sharpen the sword a little bit so that I could go back and then write my dissertation, Lord willing, once I jump through all the hoops and surmount all the hurdles that are related with this, and then I'll be working part-time on a dissertation while I'm running a seminary full-time. And uh, so that's really why we're here, and uh, we look forward to spending a little bit of time at Grace Church. We haven't been here much because we're out almost every weekend out and about at various churches, Uh, but you may see us around from time to time and uh, as we try to reconnect. So let me just give you a little uh, bird's eye view of what we're all about and uh, ever, I think the slide up on the, on the screen behind me is Everglen Baptist Church. Um, that's not a church that I planted, but this is where we started our ministry 22 years ago when we worked with an existing church planter there to help him take that work further. That, pl- that church is now established. It's now pastored by a South African pastor. They've asked me to come back and work with them and to help them make some changes that needed to be made. And uh, furthermore, they are going to serve as the beachhead for Christ Seminary Cape Town because they have all the facilities that we need. So that's why I'm back at a church that I was a part of working with a former student. And uh, I can't tell you how gratifying that is to come back and to work with somebody that you helped train 22 years ago. And uh, I'll show a picture of him just momentarily. But here's the rest of the clan and uh, both of our kids. uh, This is a couple years old. They've grown up a lot more. And uh, both of them are at the Master's University. One's finishing up. The other one's just beginning. And so it's exciting to see what God is going to do with them in the future. And uh, they're no longer a part of the prayer card. They're young adults. So uh, it's just Debbie and myself. And one of the prayer requests that we have is that after we leave on this furlough to go back to the field, we go back as empty nesters. This will be the first time in nearly 23 years that we go back without our kids in tow. And I'm not sure how we're going to respond to that. So we, we need a little bit of prayer on that front. But uh, it's just Debbie and myself now. And uh, so uh, now we uh, get to work together uh, on this. And uh, at least we have Skype and a few other technological advances to help keep in touch with our kids. But Debbie and I will go back and uh, launch the new work at the seminary. This is where we're located, uh, way down in the southwest corner of Cape Town. And uh, every time we go to a GMI conference, we always get the award for coming the farthest uh, because we're really at the end of the line. Uh, You can't get much further than Cape Town from Los Angeles. It's literally 10,000 miles away. That's halfway around the world. And uh, so it's not easy to get there from here. Trust me, we've made the trip many times. And uh, we have uh, dealt with the jet lag that is associated with all of that. So as a result, I try not to come home that often. Uh, We're not like those in Europe who can jump on a plane and be here in 10 hours or something like that. It's literally uh, usually 36 hours from door to door. So if you can imagine a 10-hour flight followed by a 16-hour flight, that's what we get to do when we go back and forth. 
And uh, so I don't like to travel, and, and certainly that is a lot of travel. But you can see where we are way down there. And South Africa is, is a big country. Uh, I'm often asked, well, do you know Tim Cantrell? Uh, yeah, I know Tim. I don't see him often. Do you know Joel James? Yes, we know the Jameses. We went out the same time they did 22 years ago. Uh, the problem is they're 900 miles northeast of us from Cape Town. So people say, well, do you fellowship with them much? Well, do you fellowship with the churches up in Portland, Oregon much? Probably not very much. Uh, that's how far away we are from these other men. And so while we, we know each other and occasionally we get together, uh, the, the interaction we have is rather limited because of our proximity to one another. So that gives you a little, little idea. I've, we've been in Cape Town by ourselves for most of these 22 years. Only recently has God brought some uh, men who graduated from the seminary and are from South Africa originally back to Cape Town. And those are the men that we're partnering with to start Christ Seminary Cape Town. Uh, this uh, is a little video that David helped me put together. Uh, it's beyond my technological capabilities to do something like this, but David uh, was kind enough to uh, put this together for me. It just gives you an idea of where we're at and... Uh, just uh, where Cape Town is, where Everglen Baptist Church is, which is, will be the house of uh, Christ Seminary Cape Town. Um, this is going to take you a little bird's eye view, panoramic view over Table Mountain, uh, which is one of the most iconic features in South Africa. And uh, people come from all over South Africa, just, or all over, uh, all over the world just to see Table Mountain. You can see it's a very expansive urban sprawl here. Uh, 4.5 million people live here. Uh, hence, one of the reasons why we're starting a seminary. And uh, here we go. We're honing in uh, on Everglen Baptist Church, which is about 28 years old now. And uh, you can see they have buildings. Uh, they have a physical plant there which is one of the reasons why we're now reassociated with them for the purpose of the seminary. And uh, so there you have it. That's Everglen Baptist Church, uh, a church of about, uh, I guess, about 200 people now. Um, as far as the population goes, we're about four to four and a half million people. But we're a rather diverse group in Cape Town uh, with 1.8 million Cape Coloreds. And you're saying, now, brother... That's not politically correct. We don't use that terminology. We may not, but they do. The Cape Coloreds are a mulatto mixed race group of people that are neither white nor black, but somewhere in between. And it's the result of slavery from the uh, late 1600s and early 1700s when South Africa was first uh, populated by Europeans, the Dutch settlers. And what happened is these Dutch masters cohabitated with their black and Malaysian slaves because they brought Malaysian slaves from the Orient in. They cohabitated with them, and the, the result is a whole race of people that are part Dutch, part Malay, and part Khoisan. And uh, they are about four and a half to five million strong throughout the country, but their population base is Cape Town because that's where it all began. And so we have a lot of interaction with the Cape Coloreds in our area. And I've had the privilege of speaking in a number of their churches, uh, working also in a Bible college out in the Cape Colored area. Uh, so they're a big part of our population group. There are 800,000 whites, some of those from Afrikaans or Dutch descent, 
others from British descent, and uh, both of them speak English, but the Afrikaners prefer Afrikaans, which is a form of Dutch. Um, I do not speak Afrikaans, I just tell them ek pratni Afrikaansni, which means I don't speak Afrikaans. And uh, so then they'll quickly uh, switch to English uh, for my benefit. But our church is comprised of about 50% uh, Afrikaans people, many of them leaving their former Dutch Reformed church because of liberalism that has quickly crept in after the apartheid era ended in 1994. Uh, then you have 1.4 million Koza-speaking blacks. Now, South Africa, the largest population base would be the blacks, but they're comprised of 11 major tribes. And those tribes are oftentimes geographically and regionally located. And the largest group in our area is the Koza-speaking blacks. The, the Zulu nation is on the other side of the country in the Durban area in a province called KwaZulu-Natal. And uh, so we don't have many Zulus, but we have a number of Koza-speaking blacks in our area, of which Nelson Mandela is probably the most famous of them. So that gives you a little idea of the diversity that exists there. There are other uh, scant minorities as well that are represented there. Um, and this is just a little bird's eye view of Cape Town and what it looks like, some of the beauty, the tourist shots. Uh, that's Table Mountain from a distance, looking from the north, uh, looking due south, uh, in the, the central business district just below that uh, iconic feature there. Um, here are some other scenes around, uh, just looking out into uh, the bay, the harbor area toward Robben Island, uh, Cape Town by night, uh, Kirstenbosch uh, Botanical Gardens, which is world famous. Uh, if you're into uh, botany, uh, Cape Town is a wonderful place to be because it has its own floral kingdom there. I think there are only 11 floral kingdoms in all the world, but this small little strip of land there is one of them. So people come from all over the world just for that, to see that, the great diversity. Uh, one of the things that uh, I've done with my son over the years is hiking. Uh, many know me as a long-distance runner and a cyclist. Uh, my son doesn't like to run. He doesn't like to cycle. Um, uh, I once told him he was no son of mine. Um, he knows it was tongue-in-cheek and in jest, but uh, one thing he likes to do is hike, and so I decided to take up that mantle, and, and we've hiked many of the trails around the greater Cape Town metropolitan area over the years and uh, climbed many mountains together. That's one thing I'll miss is not being able to do that on a regular basis with my boy. Um, but uh, this is uh, my colleague. Uh, this is Tiny Cooper, a uh, former student of mine with his wife, Sue, He's the pastor of Everglen Baptist Church, which you just saw a few moments ago, and uh, I have the privilege of working with him, and he's invited me to come alongside of him and help strengthen the work there, while at the same time laying the foundation for the seminary that we hope to start when we go back in 2017. And uh, so it's a real privilege to be able to work with him. That's one of the reasons I'm able to take an extended furlough, because he is the senior pastor of Everglen. I'm one of the teaching elders there, but I'm not the senior pastor. And so for that reason, he preaches in the mornings. We have an evening service, so I preach in the evenings. So I still have a week-to-week -week preaching outlet, and that helps alleviate some of his day-to-day -day pressures as well. 
And so it's been a real privilege to work with him. We have a wonderful working relationship. And uh, we Skype each other every couple of weeks while I'm over here so that he can keep me up to speed on what's going on and uh, run things by me and so that we can chat about the direction of the church and about how we should handle certain situations. And it's just been a real joy to partner with him in ministry. And uh, really, that's, that, is the, that is the crown jewel of ministry, being able to work alongside of those that you help train early on. And I have no greater joy than that. And I praise God for being able to call him a colleague now and a partner in ministry. And I praise God that he's invited us to come alongside and work with him. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to do right now is reach our men. I know that they're doing that here at Grace Community now and that Brad Clausen has been a big part of that. And I, I certainly subscribe to the uh, uh, proposition that the best women's ministry you can have is a good men's ministry. And that's, that's not to impugn this group here. But there's a lot of truth in that statement. And so we're trying to reach our men because they have been so impacted by the culture around them. Because our culture parallels American culture very closely in many ways. Obviously with many nuances and var- variations. But there are a lot of similarities and our men have been drastically impacted by this. Essentially, I call it the emasculation of masculinity. And so we're trying to reach them and teach them what it means to be not only a man, but to be a godly man. Because we want them to be the leaders of their households. And we want them to lead their wives and their children in spiritual pursuits and matters. And that's been a real problem. And one of our biggest challenges that we face in ministry, whether it's working with Africans, whether it's working with Cape Coloreds, whether it's working with the Caucasians, is is godly leadership. So we must train them. We We must mentor them and disciple them. And so that's what we're seeking to do. This was a men's breakfast we had just a couple of weeks before our departure for furlough. So we had, I think, 40 or 50 men that morning. And so we're trying to use opportunities like this as an occasion to get to know some of our men and begin uh, training them and working with them uh, so that they can be what they should be in Christ Jesus. Um, One of the things I do almost daily now is preach and teach. And if I'm not in the classroom, I'm in the pulpit. And uh, also having the privilege of going around to some of the surrounding churches now that I've gotten to know. One of the benefits of being in the same area for 22 years is that you get to meet people and form networks. And so now we're really capitalizing on those networks that God has given us over these many years of ministry. And uh, this, this occasion here where you see me preaching is out in the Cape uh, Flats area uh, where many uh, called Mitchell's Plain. Mitchell's Plain is an area where they moved many of the coloreds from District 6, which is near the Central Business District in Cape Town back in the 60s, I believe it was. And they moved them out to the Sand Flats near False Bay where all the sharks are. You've probably seen that on Discovery Channel or uh, Animal Planet, something like that. But... There are one million Cape Coloreds confined in a very small geographical area with very few Bible-believing and teaching churches there. There's a mosque on every street corner. There are churches aplenty, but the vast majority of them are health, wealth, and prosperity churches. 
And so we have men all around the Cape Flats area who have ordained themselves as apostles, some even as kings. And uh, they're fleecing their flocks blind. And so this particular church is a church that used to be a former Pentecostal church. When the now pastor called me 12 years ago and said, Pastor, you don't know me, but I listen to you on the radio. Because at the time, we we had a vibrant radio ministry. And he said, I listen to two people on the radio. I listen to you, and I listen to John MacArthur. And he said, you guys sound a little bit alike. (laughs) I said, well, I take that as a compliment. Uh, John might take that as a disparagement. I'm not sure. Uh, because I certainly don't claim to uh, be uh, close to him on the ladder. But I said, thank you, brother, and we started talking, and he began to explain to me that because of listening to us on the radio and reading some other literature by other men, he's beginning to question the whole uh, aspect of uh, the gifts, the sign gifts for today. He said, could I talk to you about it? And so we talked about it. And we began meeting, and uh, we began having phone conversations and email conversations. And over the course of time, God led this dear brother out of the Pentecostal movement. And not only did he lead him out of the Pentecostal movement, he allowed him to lead his whole congregation out of the Pentecostal movement. And today, it is no longer a Pentecostal church. It is now called Montrose Park Bible Church. And so he's invited me to come and and speak on a few different occasions now and even to host a conference with him a couple of years ago. And so this was one such occasion. So I praise God for those providential opportunities and appointments that God brings our way. And God is using this young man to impact many others in his community. And he doesn't have an easy road to hoe. And so I pray for men like him all the time. Uh, This is a picture with one of my former students from the Evangelical Bible College, which is also out in the Mitchell's Plain area. And I taught there for the last three and a half years before coming home on furlough. And uh, this is one of my former students, Brian Johnson. Uh, He asked me to come about a year and a half ago and preach his ordination. And so I had the great privilege of going there and doing that at that time. And uh, another one of those great joys of ministry that God brings our way. Uh, These are some of the men that uh, I had the privilege of hosting a conference with at this brother's church that I was just speaking of. uh, Rion Bior, who's right in the middle of it all in the the white long sleeve shirt. And uh, we held, he, he contacted me after the Strange Fire Conference. And he said, brother, could we have something like that here in Cape Town? I said, by all means, we, we, we could. But we need to talk about it. And we need to figure out how we're going to go about all of this. We don't want to call it Strange Fire. And so we put a committee together and we started meeting on a monthly basis. And over the course of a year, we planned a conference that was entitled Discerning Faith. And uh, we didn't know what would happen. We didn't know who would come, if anybody would come. Uh, we didn't know if we'd need Cavalar vests um, and uh, security personnel to protect us. Uh, but by God's grace, we prayed about it, planned it well out, and uh, we, we invited other men to speak. We hosted this on a Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. We had two sessions every night. We ran it from 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. every night with a tea break in between. South Africans love their tea. Um, That's disconcerting when you're a coffee lover, but 
and uh, we, we invited Tim Cantrell from Johannesburg to come down. Uh, then we, uh, one of my young Timothys, uh, Denver Solomon, who's standing next to him and ne- in between Tim and myself. Rion Bior's on the other side of me and his associate, Christo, and another dear brother as well, uh, who's also in the Cape Flats area, Neil Henry. And all of us were the plenary speakers for uh, this conference. And then we, we also had a Saturday conference uh, where we met for five hours and had a number of sessions. And uh, to our surprise, God drew over 250 people every night. And uh, many of them from the Pentecostal background, in fact, most of them. In fact, some of the leaders from local Pentecostal denominations came to suss us out. And uh, they put me up first because they thought I'd make a great target. And uh, my, my first assignment was to do the history of the charismatic movement from Pentecost to the present day. And uh, there were some leaders of a local Pentecostal denomination who told some of the other brothers there they didn't even know their own history after listening to that one-hour flyby of that that, uh, analysis. And uh, so we had a wonderful time. And there are some people who have subsequently come out of the Pentecostal movement as a result of this. I believe some people even got saved as a result of this later on down the line. Uh, this is a one particular night. You can see them all sitting there and listening very intently to what we were saying. Um, one of the things we did is set up a book table, but uh, we needed copies of John's book. We didn't have copies in the country. It's hard to find them there. And uh, so we ordered, I can't remember, I think it was about 250 copies. We sold out all 250 copies in the first couple of nights of the conference. We uh, heavily subsidized the book so that these people could afford it because many of them are from impoverished backgrounds. But you can see this dear woman standing there thumbing through this. But we tried to put good literature in their hands. And God to this day is still using this in the lives of people. And so for that, we are extremely grateful. This is one of the greatest spiritual challenges that we face not only in South Africa, but in all sub-Saharan Africa. It is the extremes of the Pentecostal movement that's commingled with aspects of health, wealth, and prosperity. And if you're familiar with the name Conrad Mbewe, then you understand what this is all about. He's written profusely on all of this because he's a man who's uh, positioned up in Zambia. And uh, he faces this day in and day out, as do we down in Cape Town. Not only amongst the coloreds and and the Africans, but also amongst the Caucasians. Uh, The whole charismatic movement in its extreme form for the most part has ricocheted through our country with a shotgun-like blast leaving many victims in its wake and so we are tasked then with coming along behind that and trying to mop up some of that mess and uh, so really that's one of the biggest spiritual challenges that we face And I believe one of the primary reasons for this is if you understood our culture, if you understood the culture of crime that exists, the political uncertainty that exists, if you understood the uncertainty of our economy with an official 29% unemployment rate, which is unofficially 40%, our people are hassled daily and bombarded with all of these negative facts of life and living. So much so that many people are looking for a form of escapism. And so when Sunday morning rolls around, 
they find that form of escapism through the emotional pick-me-up of the extremes of the charismatic movement. And I believe that's, that's one of the catalyzed that's behind all of this. It's just one. It's not the only one. But uh, we, we seek to deal with that. And so conferences like this have helped us at least open up a door of dialogue as well with other people, even though we were uh, heavily criticized for what we did. And we were told we're divisive and, and, and all of those standard narratives that are a result of hosting a conference like that. And I said, look, man, uh, you know, it, it's the, the truth. Truth is a uniting factor. And we need to unite around the truth, not around a feeling. And, and so we're, we're pray, we praise God for what he did on that occasion. Uh, one of the blessings as well over the last few years is I've been able to hand over Living Hope Bible Church, a church that we started back in 2001. And uh, we were able to hand this group of people over. I guess it was about 70 people at the time. But God enabled us to raise up three elders, one of whom became the senior pastor, Denver Solomon. And uh, Denver's done a tremendous job with Living Hope Bible Church, a church that uh, had a a great variety and diversity of ethnicity within it. And uh, I'm not sure how all that happened. It just happened, the one common denominator and all of that. I was asked, how did you... How did you plant a mixed church, a racially diverse church? I said, I don't know. I just preached the word of God, the whole counsel of God. I started with a book. I started in chapter 1, verse 1, started preaching. Word got out. Hey, there's this guy that actually preaches through the Bible. He doesn't do this topical hopscotch approach to ministry. That's what drew them. It was the word of God. It certainly wasn't me. It was in spite of me, quite frankly. And so we praise God for them. They're joining with us in uh, helping to start this new work of Christ Seminary. In fact, their pastor, Denver, is currently here in Southern California at the Master Seminary, getting his master's, uh, a Master of Divinity degree. And we've sent a replacement, a recent graduate, David Fall, over to fill in as the interim pastor at Living Hope Bible Church. And so uh, all of this has been going on behind the scenes. It's all part of our strategy because I need trained men to help me train the next generation in Cape Town. Uh, in line with that, uh, this is Bruce and Bonnie Newsham. And uh, Bruce is a graduate of the Master's Seminary, but he's a South African citizen. His wife is American, but grew up in Zimbabwe as a missionary kid. And uh, they live not far from us, just down the road. He's involved in a Grace Brethren work. And uh, they are going to partner with us in Christ Seminary. Bruce is going to teach a lot of our pastoral ministry courses, including biblical counseling, because that's really his passion. And Bonnie's going to help us with our library. She's going to help us with some of our admin. And so we, we praise God that he's raising up other South Africans to help us launch this new work. Also, this is Lundgren and Anna Tellyard, uh, also graduates of the Master Seminary, or at least Lundgren is. Um, and uh, his dear wife, Anna, uh, who I believe comes from here, um, and he met her while he was here. They got married, and uh, now they live about 20 miles away. He's involved in a church plant in Stellenbosch, which is a university town uh, just down the road from us. And uh, our church, in fact, is supporting Lundgren. I had the privilege of preaching there uh, earlier this year. 
and uh, with his, his little uh, group of people, about 30 people or so. And we just praise God for them and, and how God is going to use this young couple to reach that university town. And uh, he is also going to be uh, part and parcel of what we're doing. And so we, we praise God that God is raising up South Africans, not Americans, but South Africans. Why is that important? Because in missions, we talk about indigenization. Uh, it's hard to say it, let alone know what it means. But it simply means that we want to be able to turn the work over to them and they take it further than what we have. We want it to be autonomous and independent of the missionary and the mission. The beauty of what we're doing with Christ Seminary is that we're already starting out with indigenization baked into that cake because I'm the only ugly duckling. I'm the lone wolf American. I'm the only yank there. They call me the yank. They call my car the yank tank. Um, But, uh, and they tell me, well, you're not American. You're one of us. I guess that's because we've been there so long. But every time I open my, my mouth, it gives me away. So uh, they know I'm not from there. But uh, God is raising up people like this to help us. And there are others that I don't have pictured here. Uh, in line with that, there are those who are helping us. Of course, there's Tiny Cooper there on the left, uh, my colleague. In the middle is David Fall, who is uh, filling in for Denver Solomon at Living Hope Bible Church. Uh, David is 53 years old, I believe. Uh, He was saved through one of the ministries of Grace Community Church. He was living on the street. And I think it was in a halfway house or rescue mission of some sort up in Acton. And this church has an active outreach there. David is the fruit of that. He went from dumpster dining to dining at the king's banquet table and now serving the king in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, To... And on the far right there is uh, my dear friend, uh, Brian Murphy. Uh, Dr. Murphy is uh, in the Old Testament, de- Old Testament Department at the Master Seminary. He's also the pastor of Roosevelt Community Church up in Lancaster, one of our supporting churches. And he's been a real cheerleader for what we're doing over there. And for years, he said, Mark, you need to start a seminary. And I've always said, Brian, in good time, you don't just start a seminary. You, it's not like cup of soup you can't open the packet add hot water stir to a thick consistency and presto you have a seminary there's a lot more to it than that but the time is right and I believe that God has raised us up for such a time as this and I thank God for Brian Murphy and what he's doing and getting getting behind all of this he's the one who who pulled me aside and said look you need to do a PhD I said look you need to get lost um Uh, But here I am, but by the grace of God. And uh, I don't know how the PhD thing will turn out, but I I thank God that God is using him in my life in that way to help even further my knowledge and understanding of God's word to make me more effective in the classroom. So these are some of the the people that are instrumental, just some. They represent just a few. Uh, This is really the the warp and the woof, the heart of uh, what we're all about. And I share this wherever I go, and people probably get tired of hearing it. But this was our creed from 23 years ago when Grace Church originally sent us out. I remember the echo at that time said, Mark, you've got to have a verse. So what do you mean I've got to have a verse? You've got to have a verse. I'm like, oh, I've got to get a verse. This is that verse. 
The Apostle Paul in Colossians, after that great Christological expose on the person and work of Jesus Christ, summarizes it all in a very practical way as he moves from from all of that high Christology to the practical implications of that Christology for day-to-day work and ministry. And he says, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Well, I'm not going to preach that this morning, but I'll I'll give you a quick summary. Um, He begins the whole aspect of proclamation. It's all about keeping the main thing, the main thing. Keeping Christ at the heart of the mission, not becoming easily distracted, with Christ ending up out on the periphery, on the border, as it were, But his whole purpose was to keep Christ central. And the word proclaim there simply means to announce that which has already been achieved. That's wonderful. I don't have to reinvent the message. The message is already there. My job is just to be a mouthpiece and to get out there and proclaim Jesus Christ until he comes. That's at the heart of what missions is all about. He goes on to explain that proclamation and what it looks like. And there are really two aspects to it. One is positive, one is negative. First, he says, admonishing every man. There's a negative to this. The good news portends the bad news. And the bad news is we're all sinners. For all have sinned and fall far short of the glory of God. And so we have to go with that message. In this era of power of positive thinking. There are people who want to go preach Norman Vincent Peale, but I find Peale appalling and Paul appealing. (laughs) You must admonish them. And even once they come to Christ, the admonishment continues. I know it continues in my life, and I've been saved 30 years now, 32 years by God's grace. God uses my blessed wife in the admonishment department on many occasions. Then there's the teaching. That's the positive aspect. That's the positive installation of all of those great Christological truths of the first part of the chapter. It's describing to them the riches that are theirs in Christ Jesus, that God has given us a veritable pouch of diamonds, the value of which is inestimable. So we need to teach them that. That's the positive aspect. There are these two polarities. There must be both proclaimed in equal measure with great bounds, truth and grace, in equilibrium. And notice what he says here. He does this to every, preaches this to every man. Who is the every man that he mentions three times here? Well, I believe it's, it's not every man numerically. It's every kind of man. Every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, those great shots of heaven in the book of Revelation. That's the every man that he is referencing here. It's not just for a select group of people. But I live in the midst of coloreds and Africans and Caucasians. All of them deserve to hear the truth of God. Not just one select segment of society. And I don't treat one any different than the other. 
But notice what he says. How does he do this? How do you manage all of this? With all wisdom. That is the skill and dexterity of applying biblical truth to everyday life and living. It's that wisdom that James speaks about. The wisdom that comes from above. And why does he do this? What is the goal of the proclamation? Announcing that which has already been achieved in Christ Jesus. That he may present every man complete in Christ. That word complete simply means mature. That's the goal. To get them from A to Z. To get them from infancy to adulthood. To get them from the point where you have to feed them in a high chair to the point where they can not only feed themselves but make their own meal to boot. In my estimation, and not to be hypercritical or pejorative, this has been one of the failings of modern day missions in many parts of the world especially in sub-Saharan Africa, where well-meaning, good-intentioned, intrepid heroes of the faith have come in, proclaimed the gospel, people have gotten saved, but then these missionaries have quickly moved on to other fields and they've left infants behind in their wake and the result is that what has happened by the second and third generations, they've already departed from Christ. They've already commingled and homogenized gospel truths with African traditional religion to their detriment. So much so that Christ is so far on the periphery you can barely make out that image. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is long gone. We must establish them in a mature faith. That is what Christ's seminary is all about. That's what turns my crank. That's my passion. And I pray that that is how God will use us for the next 15, 20 years, however many years he allows us to minister in that context. Finally, Paul sums it, summarizes it all and says, And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me, This is toil and moil. It's blood, sweat, and tears. You don't just do this. I didn't fall out of bed one morning and say, hey, I think I want to be a missionary. It didn't happen. It took 15 years to get from here to to Cape Town. It took another 15 years for God to beat me senseless and finally get my attention and finally make me, bring me to the point where I might actually be used for his glory in some small way. It takes a long time. It's hard work. Oftentimes it's lonely. We've been out there by ourselves for many, many years. But God has sustained us. Your prayers have sustained us. The encouragement from the home front has sustained us. So we strive. We agonize. The word there is agonizomai. You can hear that grinding agony built into the term itself. An athletic term, a military term. And we strive as the athlete strives for the finish line. But we do so not in, in, not in and of ourselves, but in accordance with the power that he provides so that we beca- become a channel through which he works to accomplish that which he seeks to achieve in and through us. And Paul says that mightily works within me. It's no wonder Paul could conc- conclude in Second. 
Corinthians 12, his grace is sufficient for me. His power is perfected in my weakness. That's part and parcel what this refers to. And so that's really what missions is all about in a nutshell. That's, this is a wonderful passage just for a philosophy of ministry statement on missions. And uh, that's what we've been privileged to be a part of all these years. I'd like to thank you ladies and thank Grace Community Church at large for the, the huge role that you play, for the prayers. Many of you don't know us, but you've prayed for us. I know that because you've sent us notes to that effect. Thank you. I thank you for all the cards and letters and notes. I thank you for the birthday cards, anniversary cards. I thank you for all of the, I think it was Dolores who was instrumental behind this, of sending $5 every time our kids had a birthday. From the bottom of our hearts, you do not know how much that means to us. That has been a cup of cold water on more than one occasion to a weary missionary. So don't think that what you do is any less important than what I do. You're all participants, not only in our ministry, but in the many other ministries that are represented at this church and through GMI. You might be silent partners, but you are active partners nonetheless. And I hope that you will see your way yourselves in that capacity. So please, excel still even more in this. Because we cannot do what we do without you behind us. And we praise God for you each and every day. Thank you. Well, let me close in a word of prayer. I think my time is done. Um, I don't know that there's probably not time for questions, but we'll certainly stay around and answer some. I'll leave that up to Linda. But let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you for your wonder-working grace. I thank you for reaching down and touching us with so great a salvation because of so great a Savior. Father, help us all to keep the main thing the main thing in whatever sphere of influence we may find ourselves. And Father, may we excel still even more at that. Father, I thank you for those ladies that are represented here today. I thank you for those who have prayed for us. I thank you for those who have taken time out of their very busy schedules to pin a note here and there. Father, I thank you for the support and encouragement of this church and many others just like it. Father, what a high and holy privilege it is to be a part of such a dynamic church with dynamic believers. Father, I pray now that you'd help us not to grow weary in this well-doing. Help us to continue to labor. Help us to strive, but not to strive according to our power, but to strive according to the power and the grace which only you afford through your Son and the indwelling of your Spirit. Father, thank you, and we praise you, and we look forward to the soon and coming King. Until then, may we live in light of his return, for we pray these things in Christ's name alone. Amen.